Unhappy, that is a form of selfishness. It makes you unhappy and it makes others unhappy also. If you don't stop this habit of always wanting the biggest and best, you soon won't have any friends at all. No one will want to play with you or associate with you. Think how lonely that would be. to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you live from the unceded and stolen Musqueam territory, uh, UBC campus. Uh, my name is Ruby Raven. I'm your host. And today's a very special episode of Arts Report because it is happening during Fund Drive, our week of fundraising. Mm. Woo! Serena is here right now. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Serena. Um... I also do stuff at the radio station, the Intersectionality Collective. Famous plug. And um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about FunDrive. We are fundraising to raise $20,000 for a new radio transmitter, which we need to transmit radio. It's pretty integral to the whole listening to radio process. Um, And we are currently trying to raise that money from anywhere we can. You can donate at, uh, go to citr.ca slash donate, citr.ca slash donate. And I just want to tell you a little bit, a little reason why I think you should donate. And then Serena is going to share a little bit too. But CITR is really important to me. Um, Like a lot of people, like after the pandemic, I came back to campus and I didn't really feel like I had anything that I was really connecting with. And I found this place where there were people here who uh, wanted to help me talk about what I wanted to talk about and make what I want to make. And I could interview artists and go to shows and and really get a cultural education in a very accessible way. There are like almost no barriers to enter. You Anyone who can join anyone who wants to join can there's free trainings free uh sessions in the studio everything is free and everyone here is so eager and willing to help you make what you want to make so it's, it's honestly such a lovely place and i feel really lucky that vancouver and this massive university have a place like this to really like nurture students creative side um and serena why is citr special to you well honestly why wouldn't it be special? Like, I just got to UBC, and there's lots of reasons why I love it here, but I think that, like, being able to take part in something like this is just, just so unique, at least for me. Like, I don't know. Um, this is not something that you can get at every university, especially, like, CITR has such a history, and, like, 
such a fan base of like students and non-students alike too like if you're not part of the university you're not a student and you're like oh no like this sounds super interesting but i don't know how to get involved you can come to shows you can donate you can like literally start your own show on the radio station like there are so many ways to get involved and like if you want to donate i think you should just do it because there are so many worse things to spend money on like five dollars helps so much you could spend that five dollars on so much less you could literally spend three hundred dollars on a parking ticket or you could spend three hundred dollars on you know citf so why don't you yeah exactly we are really just need some help we need we need a radio transmitter (laughs) this is literally so integral to what we do okay so um if you want to donate any amount goes a really, really long way. That's citr.ca slash donate. We're trying to raise $20,000 for a new radio transmitter. Okay, so today we have a jam-packed episode of uh, lots of pre-recorded segments from lots of different um, correspondents on the show. We have um, uh, an interview with the director of Wolves that Evan has done. We have an interview and review from Lua of A Chorus Line. Uh, we have a review of Forgiveness from Lua. And um, we also have an interview with um, Dave Merhej, a comedian uh, who is participating in the Just for Laughs Festival. So without further ado, let's listen to um, an interview of... Uh, the director of The Wolves. Okay, here we go. I'm Stearns with CITR 101.9 FM with the Arts Report. And um, I have the pleasure to be talking with Lior Morris, the director of UBC's most recent production, The Wolves. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So what I really wanted to know was what was your introduction to this script and what made it so unique to anything that you've worked on before? And what was important to you when dealing and staging this script? That's a lot of questions. I could spend 15 <laughs> minutes on on that. I had heard about this text back in 2017, I think, when it was premiering or had premiered in the U.S. Um, and it started to get picked up by a lot of theaters in the U.S. where I was living at the time. And I was struck over and over again as I saw photos from those productions and heard interviews with folks that had worked on it, how even in, you know, the late 20 teens, how striking it was to have an entire show foregrounding, centering, focused on teenage girls or women or young women. You know, we spent a lot of time actually in rehearsal talking about whether we should speak about these characters as women, as young women, or as girls, um, because all of those terms are so loaded and are so often used by other people to make women feel small or to sexualize women. Or um, right. So when looking at the cohort of artists coming through UBC and sort of where their interests were and where their politics lie, and the ways in which there was a real appetite for something that felt personal and that felt urgent and that felt like it was centering women and really inviting audiences to to look at the inside of a teenage girl with a lot of curiosity and a lot of empathy and a lot of respect. You know, on the first page of the script, there's a Gertrude Stein quote that says, we are all the same age inside. And Amazing. I think 
Yeah, yeah. And I think the opportunity to to go back and look at being 16 or 17 as a kind of moment in a person's origin story as an adult um, and right. to, to really respectfully attend to how significant the events are that happen to a person at that age and all of the conflicting pressures that young women are facing, especially in this world when they're seeking to be elite athletes. Right. Um, so that was really, you know, in, in thinking about who is going to collaborate on this show, I thought, oh, here's an opportunity for folks to really step into the center of who they are and reflect on sort of younger versions of themselves and to invite the audience in a really reparative way to to attend to the the teen girls inside them. And then also it was so delightful that it came inside this uh, athletic universe where there's a physical mm -hmm. score that underlines the whole show where we're kind of with this group of women in a pack whose bodies have learned so um, skillfully to listen to each other. And so I was really excited about that opportunity because as, as actors often, you know, there's that kind of need for a heightened kinesthetic response, but to investigate Absolutely. that as these incredible athletes who are kind of, whose bodies are, are engaged in one text and then their hearts and minds and their, their spoken language is engaged yeah. in another text. And the kind of way that those things sat together was really fun to, to explore. And you can definitely see that synergy when watching the plays. There's, there's so much going on. You've got all this overlapping dialogue as well as these actors are on stage doing warm-ups and playing soccer. How was it through the rehearsal process? How was it gaining that flow? It was so fun and challenging. I mean, I think we started early on, right at the beginning of rehearsals, playing soccer every single day. Amazing. Um, yeah. And it was really neat. We got to go to Thunderbird Stadium in December. Once classes had ended and we were in rehearsals, we would start a lot of days on the field. And so we got this opportunity to kind of feel ourselves in this expansive athletic space and to feel what it is, the kind of power and the humility and the, you know, everything that comes along with being a single person on a team, on a field with this appetite to win and and for excellence mm -hmm. and for, you know, real physical prowess. And so it was a blast. I mean, it, it was very humbling. We talked a lot about how much everyone grew because on the first day, you know, no one could kick a soccer ball straight. And by the end of the process, as you saw in the production, yeah, we were able to craft a bunch of drills that really demanded precision. And so there's something really delightful about also performers having to do something for real every night Absolutely. that requires that kind of focus and that kind of um, physical specificity. specificity. Um, so it was really fun. I think a lot of people discovered that they had stopped playing certain sports because they had turned their attention towards the arts and rediscovered right. how... Um, how delightful it can be to just be on a team and play a game. That's amazing. Yeah. I wanted to touch on some of the more creative sides of the show. You've got a great creative team and there's an amazing use of pop music and the little audios of the commentary throughout the show. I was wondering what the process was like of getting that all together and working with that team of creatives. Yeah, it was fabulous. I was gifted a really amazing collaborative creative team. And Victoria, who is the lead sound designer, along with Jasmine and Christian, who were supporting her in the process, 
was really game to think through with me sort of how we could use pop music to create both the kind of energetic flow that the show needed and the kind of adrenalized feeling of getting ready to play a game and of, you know, being a teenage girl getting ready to go to a prom or Mm -hmm. to a rager at your friend's house party (laughs) or whatever. And then also to think about how we could find audio clips from the world that sat inside that footprint that juxtaposed or complicated or um, amplified some of the things inside those songs. So, you know, it it was a really, it was a long process because we went through the process of trying to find all these songs. What's the right song for this moment? Right. Um, And then also all of these audio cues, there's so many cues that they found that didn't make it into the show. But yeah, you know, for example, what it is to hear Beyonce singing who runs the world girls while we hear about um, the Cambodian genocide and tampon commercials all at the same right. time to kind of create our approximation of the swirl of being a young person with yeah. all of these things coming at you, whether it's, you know, your Instagram feed or the news that your parents are watching or um, the, the music Spotify is curating for you and kind of mm-hmm. how inside that swirl of information and stimuli you are trying to figure out who you are, what you like and what you think about things. Absolutely. And it was so neat to pick up all those little things in the audio after watching a scene. Um, I just wanted to know how was it being able to discover all of these characters with all these young and up and coming performers that you got to work with and what was that process like for you it was delicious I bet it was totally delicious yeah I think um you know the the text the action of the play all unfolds because there are these aching characters in deep pursuit of the life they want and trying to transform each other and kind of colliding with each other and so um they say a lot of words, but it's all the result of a human being in need seeking something out from the group. And so I had a cast who really took me up on thinking through, you know, how can the clues that we're finding in the text be a springboard into creating rich three-dimensional human beings, we spent a bunch of time thinking through their lives off stage and thinking through their family worlds and thinking through, you know, what it is like for them at school, in their other friend groups, et cetera, so that when they come together in these weekly Saturdays, you know, every Saturday morning, right. they come to this field, they encounter these other people. We're just getting this kind of snippet of these, these big lives, uh, in in this very particular way. And so we did a lot of work on them as individual characters. And we did a lot of work talking about everything that happened between Saturdays. Right. Um, Really flesh out and think through, you know, what did go down at the ski chalet? And what was it like when number eight hung out with Chris? And they, they really did a lot of imaginative and speculative work and they invested so deeply in their characters' points of view. Um, and that was such a, a a gift as a teacher to see, you know, this group of students really stepping into the joy of the project of building character in that way. Absolutely. And it was just, were, these performances were so grounded in reality. And it was very true that there was a lot of work and passion put into all these characters. 
when I had the pleasure of meeting you, I did notice you were in a soccer jersey. Did you <laughs> play soccer when you were younger? And did you that know, help you in this production? Not at all. I I didn't. I've always felt like soccer was the sport. If I had played a sport, I would have played. But that soccer yeah. jersey actually came. Um, it was a present from a cast from another show I directed set in the UK that featured soccer. So that cast Amazing. jersey with my name on the back. But no, it's just my my, uh, my deep wish that I played soccer. So good. Yeah. How would you like audiences to walk away from this show? What a great question. Um, I hope audiences walk away from this show with full hearts and with a lot of compassion for their their younger selves um, and for young people right now. And also, I hope that everyone feels an invitation to consider who their pack is and what you know, what parts of themselves they have had to compromise to be part of that pack and to think about what it is to be together and and to think about um, how we might do that in a more mindful, more generous, compassionate way. Yeah. Um, for someone who's never seen the show, if you were to describe it in three words, what would those three words be? Raucous, connected, personal amazing no i agree i absolutely agree from someone who's seen it it was you hit every single one great um awesome thank you so much for your time lira uh, it was so great having the opportunity to sit down and chat with you even if it be through zoom um <laughs> and if you haven't seen the wolves yet directed by leora morris it is now playing in the telestudio theater at the chan center until february 11th thank you so much for your time Thank you, Evan. So nice to chat with you. Thank you. All right. So that was the interview. Go check out the wolves. Um, it's going to be great. All right. Next up, we have um, a chorus line interview and review from Lua. Uh, and so take it away, Lua. Oh, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Take it away. Lua, and it's no surprise that Studio 58 has a musical as a part of its season. And this year, the musical is A Chorus Line, which I would love to say is probably a favorite of many dancers. Uh, and today I am here with Terrence Joe and Diane Spears who is the musical director and Terrence plays Mike in the show. Hello, how are you guys doing today? Hello, hello, doing fantastic today, thank you. Yeah, great, so happy to be with you. And so before we jump into some questions about the show, uh, A Chorus Line doesn't really follow a really traditional musical plot. So one might say there isn't exactly a plot. And so for those who might not be familiar with the show, could you guys give us a summary of what it's all about? Sure, let me jump into that a little bit. The The show uh, follows a, a bunch of actors or dancers who are at an audition uh, and it happens in real time. So over the course of the uh, show, we see them audition for parts in a, a new show and we see uh, characters uh, introduce themselves and uh, eventually be weeded out. Uh, 
towards the end of the show. And so Terrence, you're playing Mike. So who is mm -hmm. Mike in, in the show? Uh, Mike in this show, he is, he is this somewhat boisterous, energetic guy. He, he comes from this Italian American family and he, I, I, he, he's one of the, uh, I, I'd say more confident dancers there and he's ready, ready to get that job. And, uh, uh, he like being, being there in the audition room with, uh, all the other dancers there is really, really get, getting to him at a certain point. I think, I think he starts off in the, um, feeling rather confident. And then by, by the end, he's very unsure of where, whether or not he makes the cut. Fair enough. I feel that mm -hmm. that is such a common, you go into an interview very confident and you leave it as like, well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, <laughs> he goes in thinking he's, he's this big deal. And then all of a sudden he sees how, how, how intense the audition is. And then all of a sudden the walls come crumbling down. Really interesting and really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from a acting perspective, how does it feel to be part of a show where there are no quote unquote stars or leads? Uh, I, I personally have found it very, uh, very refreshing. I, the, actually the, the last two shows I was in were all ensemble pieces. Um, but they, 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 they this, this is an ensemble piece where like every, everyone that is part of the main cast is the ensemble, but they, they are still very much soloists. I think it's, I, it's, it's so hard to explain because, uh, because we, we are like an ensemble cast, but if you were to see the show, you can really, you could spend the entire show looking at one particular person and, and I think you could still get an entire story from them. And are there any particular moments um, other than, of course, or maybe that is your particular moment you'd like to highlight, Mike being on stage, that you feel really highlight what a chorus line is about? Oh, <laughs> I mean, for, oh, for what a chorus line is about, I, I think... I think in the middle, I, I don't know, am I allowed to spoil a little bit? Or I guess, I guess, of course, people kind of know what a chorus line is, but, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead. But in, in the middle, there's a, uh, there's a, a montage section where we all go into a bit of it. Everyone kind of takes a little bit of a, a chunk of a solo, but at the same time, the rest of the cast is dancing something of like a pantomime of uh, what it's like to go through puberty and what it's like to grow up and be, become an adult. So I, I think, I think that's what really, um that that's where you can really get a sense of what a chorus line is of these these people auditioning but um the audition turns into so much more than that it's them telling them them telling the the director their life story and we get to really uh see that and live through that through uh the the singing and the dancing as well and diane from a musical director perspective are there any particular musical moments that stand out to you Oh, uh, this score is so filled with music that um, is part of the popular culture now. Uh, one singular sensation, as soon as you hear that music start to play, people will recognize it for sure. Um, there's a piece in the show called What I Did for Love. And for me, that's a, it totally embodies what artists are all about, whether you're an actor or a singer or a dancer, that, um, you know, we go through all kinds of well, you go through years of lessons and uh, struggles and working towards something, wanting to be an artist. And um, for me, that's a that's a highlight moment where they're where they're each talking about what they gave up and what they've done because they love to be 
an artist what they did for love. So yeah, there's lots of big moments in this piece. Yeah, I think the first time I was introduced to a chorus line, it was actually from a dancing perspective. I didn't watch it until many, many years later. And mm -hmm. so when I actually found out that the song that I loved was from this musical, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, unlike many people, yes. <laughs> and so, um, and this is a kind of question for both of you and feel free to jump in at any moment. Why do you think uh, Studio 58 is bringing the show to stage right now? What is special about it and what should audiences expect from it? Uh, I'll, I'll start it off. Uh, I, I know um, talking talking with our director, uh, she she I think she really wanted to bring this to the stage uh, because it, it is it is uh, one of the one of the few times we're coming back from this uh, post pandemic era. And I think people have been really missing live shows. And I like what what better way to start off like a, 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 a the return to live shows and with like a big, big musical, big musical dance numbers and just big glamorous song and dance and just a, a, whole, a whole bunch of showing off. <laughs> I, and I just wanted to add too that it's, it's um, I think it's a wonderful way for our, um, the students that are in this production to flex their muscles in all kinds of areas. They are mm -hmm. actors, but they're also dancers and they're also singers. And this piece was written for dancers, but they also are doing all of those things as well. It's real triple threat stuff. And it's there's lots of really great story to dig into. So I think it's great for the, the students to get to do that. But I also think we just get to tell, we get to tell these stories. And I mean, this show ran on Broadway for a really, really long time for a reason it touches us in so many ways and we connect with these these characters in in lots of different ways so i think it's a great story to connect with mm -hmm. awesome it's really great to hear that um i'm really excited to see the show um and just as a reminder for audiences out there a chorus line will be going on from february 2nd to february 19th at the waterfront theater and it's one of my honestly probably my favorite studio uh slash artistic directing in vancouver studio 58 i love you guys uh, <laughs> i think honestly it's probably one of my favorites um and i just wanted to give both of you a moment to add anything before we finish this interview uh and invite our audiences the audiences in to watch the show so here's a moment for you guys to invite everyone in sure yeah uh, i like this is a little a little tooting my own horn but i i just want to say that I, like i i think uh this this show is going to be great and this the cast the cast we have is absolutely wonderful being able to to get all of this together within we we only really started rehearsing at the beginning of the month and i i, I think we've made a lot of lot of really great progress and i think all all of like my, myself included i suppose uh mean the the entire cast i think we should be they should be so proud uh and i'm so looking forward to showing everybody what uh what we've got in store for them it's been really really fun to be at the piano music directing this show <laughs> the last few weeks and just being bowled over by the energy and the joy and uh the skill coming out of these performers and uh, gives me gives me chills. <laughs>
every single day. So I invite everybody to come see this show. It's going to be great. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Uh, have a lovely day. Thank you so much, Lua. Take care. Thanks, Lua. Well, the show was really good. Remember, uh, I remember leaving the house and being like, huh, this is not one of my favorite musicals, although I do really enjoy it. And coming back from it, I was, well, it is now one of my favorite musicals. I had only originally watched um, the film version of this musical, and it just does not do this musical justice this is a musical that should be always seen on stage and part of the reason is because this is a real-time audition the entire show is a real-time audition and when you're in the theater it's like they're also auditioning for you you're you're kind of with the director the director is sitting in the audience and there's just this complete experience with it studio 58 as usual did an incredible job uh, I will say this is a also a musical that is for dancers created for dancers about stories of dancers that are you know have dancing as a primary thing but also sing or also act and Studio 58 has incredible actors and does not necessarily specialize on singing and dancing but for what it is I think it was a really great job and Mike Terrence was incredible he did so so amazing i was like wow i was not expecting this intricate tap routine and there it was another thing that i had entirely forgotten about a chorus line is how funny it is this is such an irreverent play it has so many funny moments but also so much so many real moments where they talk about their you know issues with their bodies or what to do when you can no longer dance. Unfortunately, dancing is oftentimes a short-lived career. And what do you do after? Or, you know, how do you move on? So there are all these moments of trauma, but there's also all these moments of so, so funny. It, it is one of those musicals that are is just so entertaining to watch because it's quick-paced, it's fun, and it doesn't take itself so seriously either. Um, funny thing, I was sitting beside someone who, at towards the end of the show, turns to me, he's like, I don't really like musicals, but this was really good. And I was like, yep, that was really good. And I think that if it, this is not commendation, commendation enough, I don't know what else is. You know, musicals aren't for everyone, but Coraline, Chorus Line might be one of the ones that can appease for, to a lot of people. So this show, just as another reminder, is going on until February 19th at the Waterfront Theater. So do try to catch it. It is definitely worth the night. All right. Thank you, Lua. Um, that was the review of Forgiveness and the interview. Um, or sorry, a course line, a course line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was reading the word forgiveness on my screen. Okay, next up we have... Um, forgiveness review again from Lua. So let's, uh, let's, uh, hear it. <laughs> 
Hello everyone, this is Lo Presidio and I'm here to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the arts club, um, essentially it's, it's the world premiere of this play. It's an arts club silver commission funded by Stan and Kathy Hamilton. It was written by Mark Sakamoto and it was a stage and the stage adaptation is by Hiro Konagawa and it is a joint production with Theatre Calgary from Calgary. So it's going on in the Stanley Industrial Alliance stage from February 12th to, oh my god, not February, January 12th to February 12th. Uh, so that's a month of running. And it is based on the memoir by Mark Sakamoto. And it tells the story, the simultaneous story of um, essentially two families that in the middle and towards the end kind of become one family as their children um, are dating. And we understand that this is essentially one family. However, this family has very, very different experiences. And in certain ways, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, one side of this family is Japanese Canadian. The other is white. And that in of itself is a major difference, especially because on one side, we actually follow um, the father figure going off to war, uh, World War II, versus in the other side of the family, we follow the mother figure staying in Canada and the treatment of Japanese Canadians during World War II, specifically after the Pearl Harbor attack. But let me backtrack a little and talk a little bit more about what the plot is like. And so we open the show with um, a family meeting. So this Japanese Canadian, it's well after the war, we're now in the 70s, this Japanese Canadian um, teenager um, is going out with this other teenager who is white. And from there, the story kind of goes back and forth between the current in the 70s and the 1940s, 1950s. Um, process of these two families of the mother on the boy side and the father on the girl side and it's kind of like throughout they keep coming back to the to current the 70s uh the present and going back and forth discussing what it's like to meet and the final scene being that actual dinner together where you know you come together into this idea of forgiveness I have a lot of critiques for the show. It is a good play. However, to me, it is missing in a lot of aspects. However, I will say this is a story um, that I am familiar with. I have taken time and effort into doing research, into making myself more aware of the history in BC, specifically in Vancouver, of um, Japanese Canadian internment camps as, and what else happened to families here in Vancouver. Um, and so I feel that this story is very important uh, and this play is very important. This isn't a story that is told enough. This is not a story that a lot of people know or seek to know about. I have met multiple people in Vancouver that have been born and raised here or in Kelowna or around BC and they're like, oh, I had no idea this happened. 
And to me, that shows a major flaw in the education system. But at the end of the day, this is a way to com combat that, is making sure that these stories, these voices are being heard, are being reverberated. Reverberated? Is that a word? I think so. I hope so. Um, and the whole point of the show is that there is a lot of anger, there is a lot of resentment, but that these families have chosen a life of forgiveness, have chosen the path of forgiveness and moving on. And this is kind of where my critiques come in. For a show, in my opinion, for a show to be named Forgiveness, it has to explore forgiveness as a whole. It has to explore the intricacies of relationships and the intricacies of accepting and letting go. And unfortunately, what the play does is focus a lot on the past story, which is, is important. It's much needed context. But at the same time, because there's such a focus on those stories rather than the present and the how do we move past this, that it feels that it's very abrupt, that simply the past happened and all of a sudden we're in the future and we're deciding to move on. There is a very significant to me disconnect between that past and the present um, because I just think it's underdeveloped in that sense. The past is very well developed and then it feels rushed. The idea of forgiveness feels rushed. And I wish that is my big complaint really with this play is that I wish it had been more thoroughly developed. I wish it had had more in-depth exploration and worked on the conflict of forgiveness itself. And here's the thing, my issues is because the play is named Forgiveness. If this play was named anything else, if the idea of the play was to explore the story differently, I think it would be great. I think it would be perfect and ready. But because you're naming it forgiveness, you're focusing on the idea of how do you move on and how do you pass on the gift of love and you don't explore it enough, you showcase it. You showcase it very well and very beautifully. It is a beautiful display of affection and a beautiful display of emotion and the things we let go for our children and for our own sake as well. However, it's not developed. It's showcased, but not developed, and definitely not developed in depth. Uh, and that's my main thing with this show. I will say I am very interested in reading Mark Sakamoto's memoir. Uh, it sounds really fascinating, and the stage adaptation was really interesting. It was a really interesting play to watch. I just don't feel that it was made necessarily in the most compelling way. Um, the cast, uh, so the two main characters really are the grandmother, mother figure, and the father figure, who the mother figure is Mitsui Sakamoto, is the name of the character, and is played by Yoshi Bancroft, and she is absolutely incredible. All right, we are having a glitch <laughs> on our review of forgiveness. So 
let's just take a second here and i'm gonna vamp. hello everyone this is lo presidio and i'm here to talk I about forgiveness forgiveness vamp. is the arts club um essentially it's it's the world premiere of this play it forgiveness and the play was named and definitely the cat i like the acting of the show okay, is absolutely incredible absolutely beautiful and jared blake is oh so sorry no griffin cork is plays ralph maclean who is the father figure on the other side of the family and their performances are both really incredible and again it is a show that is worth seeing it is a story that is worth being told and i hope that you do take a moment to see it um Another caveat is that this show does contain a number of slurs and strong language, and it can be a lot. It was a lot for me, and I can imagine how it can be a lot for other people as well. So I do want to give out that warning. It is an incredible show, however, very intense in a number of ways. So if this sounds like something that is of interest to you, do check it out. It is, like I said, a very good show, although flawed. Again, this is the word premiere. There is room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. And I, although I really enjoyed it, I also have a lot of moments um, where for me, I find it very difficult to empathize with some of the characters because I don't particularly like characters that make their personal issues everyone else's problems. But at the same time, that is part of being human and that is part of forgiveness. It's understanding that each individual exists in their own world and processes things in their own ways and sometimes they require time to also come back and exist in a community but yeah that's it from me i hope you enjoy that um have a lovely day bye bye okay we're back um apologies for the glitch there um that was uh accidental but again i'm going to remind all of the listeners that this week is fun drive we are trying to raise twenty thousand dollars to get a new radio transmitter something that is integral to the transmission of radio you are hearing us right now because of a radio transmitter so um we really really need it um serena is joining me here today and uh she is going to read um some of the prizes that you can get for donating. So what can you get? Um, you can get a CITR lighter if you donate thirty dollars mm. or five dollars a month. And it's like design has it's a special CITR cool. design on it. Mm. Um, if you donate sixty dollars or ten dollars a month, you can get a wine glass and a lighter. So wow, like a good night to me. I don't know. Um, if you donate one hundred one point nine, like our tag, or fifteen dollars a month. You get an embossed hardcover notebook and a song dedication. First 30 donations, at least. Um, and also, of course, the wine glass and the lighter for a good night. Um, if you donate $500 or $45 a month, you get a monogrammed bathrobe and the above items. So really just sticking with that romance, Harlequin theme. So sexy. So sexy. Really sexy. If you donate $1,000 or $80 a month, you get to host your own show. Isn't that amazing? bonkers that's sexy is hosting your own show um and you also get a fanta records prize pack and of course the lighter the wine glass the hardcover notebook song dedication and a bathrobe so 
pretty much just everything you can you ever get want. Everything Literally you can ever everything. want. Um, Serena, why should people donate? I mean, if you hate glitches, maybe you should donate. I don't know. If you just really like the arts report, if you really like CITR, or if you really hate it and you want it to be better. You know, maybe you want to donate. Maybe you want to help us out. Maybe you want to help us out. Thank you so much for reading those amazing uh, gifts. <laughs> Why did that word leave my head? Prizes! <laughs> wow! Rewards. End of the day. Okay, so now we're going to listen to a super cool interview from Dave Merhej. He is performing um, as a part of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Kimara has interviewed him. If you are interested in going to see his show his show is playing thursday february 16th so uh, next thursday at the rio theater here he is morning canada's very own stand-up comedian and actor dave merhej welcome dave thank you for having me. welcome thank you, thank you. yeah so um, we're so very excited for having you. I was just catching up with your um, comedy special, I Love You Habibi, um, which came out in 2022. But I think I'll just let you sort of tell us a bit more about some of your other projects that have come after that. Um, after that, I was uh, on part of a TV show uh, on Hulu called Rami. Yeah. Third season came out this last year, so I believe that was in September. I believe at the end of September was that was after the special had come out, and mm-hmm. that you can also find it on uh, Stars in Canada. Yeah, like Crave Stars. Yeah, um, and the U.S. streams on Hulu. Yeah, um, which you know we should check out all okay. the seasons. But yeah, season three was the most recent one. Okay. And you also co-starred in the recently released um, movie. Sometimes I think yeah, about so dying. Um, yeah, that's a movie that we had shot a year ago, and it premiered at Sundance uh, actually uh, in January. Yeah. The festival. Yeah. Um, that starred Daisy Ridley and a um, lot of wonderful cast members and wonderful people, and uh, it was uh, such a dope, dope experience. Yeah, I, uh, it was really, really great. I've never been to Sundance. I've never been in a movie. It was mm-hmm. really, really, really... Uh, yeah, I can't even explain how, how <laughs> the, the experience it was. Yeah. And then the last... Well, and then I put out a, a comedy EP that like, you can stream like on Apple, but also you can see the full special that was shot uh, by Macaw Studios mm-hmm. or produced by them on YouTube, and it's called Miseducation of a Fuckboy. Okay. It's about 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can check that out as well. Yeah, I think I've also, I actually have watched that special. I haven't watched the the movie, but I've watched the short film. I believe it was based on a short film, so I did get to catch yeah. that. And I thought a full movie on this must be very interesting. So I'll definitely like um, look out for that one as well. Yes, yes, when it comes out, uh, it comes out, they're looking for distribution. Okay, okay. Okay, so um, I think let's just go back to the basics because um, I and I'm sure many are always curious about the creative process, whether that's like as a comedian, as a musician, as an actor. So humor me. Um, 
so you're on stage and we see you you're doing a show maybe it's like a stand-up act or something like that um but what really is the process that gets that joke on stage in that moment like how does an idea or experience convert to a joke just walk me through um, i guess it would be i mean everyone's process is obviously different mine you know sometimes if I, if I experience something like mm-hmm. if something happens mm-hmm. i was like oh maybe that could be a joke mm-hmm. and then i'll just kind of jot down in my phone yeah probably like some point points yeah and then i'll just go on stage and try to work it out as much as i can yeah like in a sense like, like depending on how many days or how many weeks it would take me to get into a, like a full tight joke mm-hmm. or sometimes i could be on stage and, and i'm like you know like improvising or something and something can come from from the audience mm-hmm. from a conversation uh, with the audience mm-hmm. or even a conversation with friends if i'm just telling them i was telling a friend about like i wear a mouth guard at night yeah um like because like i grind my teeth and i remember when i was when i was when i had a when i was dating when i had a girlfriend uh-huh. if i put the mouth guard on and we, we just i couldn't talk anymore really <laughs> so that conversation it would always end yeah so it was like we were just kind of in any gravity <laughs> like so it just kind of sometimes comes from yeah me telling somebody something that happened in my life yeah okay and then so essentially you're sort of like your set does look different over time because you're sort of improving on stage as you go, right? Um, yes and no. I like to make it like loose as much as I can, but there is a core, there is a core base, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of work around, work through that, if that makes sense. Like I'll go up and I see um, if something happens organically, yeah. I'll start talking about it. I'll find places to put my set in. So there's always like a beginning and an end and a core middle. Okay. Basically a course set. Okay. And then I think I also noticed I was watching like I mentioned I was watching your I love you Habibi and I really liked how you integrated like your parents, your sister, your brother. Um and you talk a lot about your parents and and I guess you draw a lot of your comical stories from that. Um and your sister was saying how they sometimes will call you when something funny happens surrounding maybe them or your parents. Um would you say that's like your siblings are like also an instrumental way in which you acquire your stories and what other ways do you think you acquire your stories or tune yourself to acquire stories? I think I think generally our family has like a good sense of humor yeah. for the most part and yeah. I think growing up and just all through our all through our lives together you know, humor broke the tension mm-hmm. and whatever frustration we may have with each other. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the comedy comes from my dad's, um, you know, he's just like a new guy. He's like very interesting and he's <laughs> sometimes not trying to be funny and it comes out. So I think we just like to share stories about him. Yeah. The love we have for him. So yeah. I think all, you know, some, so everyone in the family will tell me stories about that or we'll share stories and, you know, that's where, you know, I take that and we'll put it in my material if it like fits. But for the most part, I just, it, it always does. So that, and the idea, you know, they're pretty open about being made fun of. And I mean, they're, so they're obviously they're open about it because they were, uh, they, they agreed to be on the special. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was something that'd be interesting to have them kind of rebuttal or speak on stuff I was saying about them or yeah. just in general. And yeah. it kind of worked out yeah. where they were willing to play, to play. Okay. 
Okay, and I, I, I think I also, just to follow up with that, your mom was also saying towards the very end, she was sort of addressing you and she was saying how, you know, we will never be hurt um, no matter what you say. Um, so just sort of giving you that permission, I guess, to sort of um, say anything. Is there any time, say, even in your upcoming show where you feel like, okay, I, I don't know if I could go there or do you just feel like comfortable because they've given you that permission? I, I, I kind of, I already, you know, sense who they are, obviously, because they're my family, but there are times where I have called them and asked if it's all right to say it. So it's not like I always, you know, feel comfortable, but for the most part, I feel comfortable, because they've made it comfortable. Yeah. By, you know, but I mean, if I feel like a, a little bit iffy, I will call them and run the joke by them. Okay. That, that, that happens, yeah. Okay, and just to actually go back to your family, um... When would you say, because now you're, you've had like a few things on TV, you've had like a few live shows, um, when would you say like, what was the initial reaction the first time they saw you do a show or the first time they saw you like on TV, on a film or in a movie, in the series, that type of thing, especially like, I'd like to hear what your mom and dad thought and also what your siblings thought of it. I mean, my dad, I think, would ask my siblings how I got on TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was obviously happy yeah. and giddy, but he would always ask, like, like he, was, he, he wanted, but I mean, I don't know what purpose would, would that be, like, I don't know what um, information he's trying to get, like, yeah. you know? My mom, generally, from day one, is always supportive. I remember when she saw me live, she mm -hmm. was like, you know, you're natural, you're born to do it, very loving, like, mom thing to say yeah uh, and they're very uh, and they're still excited whenever they see me on tv if it's like uh, a stand-up set um, um, or a tv show i think they're you know and my brothers you know you know my sister's super excited and super proud and, and, and you know my nieces she has kids and, they, and I, for me when my nieces see me and tell me stuff right. that gets me the most excited yeah with their kids yeah so it's like when they can pick up on like all oh, you made me laugh or my sister would be like all oh, you might that makes sense because I just kept thinking I kept watching you and your parents and I just kept thinking if my parents saw me on TV they'd probably be like telling everyone every time every time even if they've seen me for 10 years they'd probably be like and she's on TV on this day so do they still do that sort of like letting everyone know oh and yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my dad does my dad will tell yeah. my dad will tell like our city we grew up in Windsor, Ontario he yeah. people yeah. he still tell like people won't see me and they're like oh your dad said you were he usually sometimes gets the things wrong mm -hmm. but he, he has the intention there like you know what I mean so he's super proud and then my mom too and my aunts and my cousins like it's like a very supportive family okay okay I think a lot of that really did come through especially in the in the special um and so more specifically what is the inspiration or experiences that led you to your now upcoming set on um, Just for Laughs, My Dear Anxiety. Like, what really has shaped that? Because to me, 
and this could just be my assumption but it feels more like a continuation of i love you habibi would you say that's sort of like a continuation of that or is it completely different yeah. completely inspired by something different no it's still an extension it's like it's like the idea that came from that was just trying to speak more about the anxieties and the ocd and the germophobia that my mom suffers from and my sister suffers from and i mm-hmm. suffer from as well so mm-hmm. it's an extension it's nothing like nothing completely new yeah it'll still be talking about um there'll be like maybe some so i don't know if there'll be similar jokes mm-hmm. but i mean there'll be similar like topics okay i mean and it's just me finding finding my finding my way yeah in, into new ideas yeah Okay, and will you still also go into the topic of, say, um, therapy and counseling, which I saw you touched on in that special? Yeah. Okay. 100% I probably will talk about, like, you know, because I started seeing, like, you know, I remember, I remember I was seeing, like, a healer, you know, a healer Reiki person, and uh-huh. they were, like, telling me that, like, you know, you got, like, uh, you, like, you got generational trauma. Okay. I, like, <laughs> I didn't even, I'm like, I didn't even think you needed to tell me that, I didn't Okay. It's not something I was like blown away. Yeah. Or shocked. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something that like family. Yeah. Um, so it's just an extension. I'll probably talk about more, um, more of my therapy for sure. Okay, and I'm just I'm just curious because you you I think you also mentioned and also your mom mentioned, um, how um like the sort of initially when you were introducing the topic of i guess therapy and counseling that sort of thing um and i do relate a lot to this um they sort of take it a bit personally in the sense of oh but but you can talk to me or or what did we do wrong type thing um so that was then would you say or how would you say to what extent that has shifted um and yeah no just go on oh i don't think it really shifted Okay. <laughs> they kind of forgot about it, maybe. Like, yeah. It's not like they're on. They're asking me how's it going. Yeah. How's your therapy going? Like they don't really care. Like, mm. It's not that they don't care. It's just like again, like you said, they take it to an effect. It's like they, it feels like you personally attack everybody in the family. Yeah. By like saying that they're lack, they 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 didn't do their job. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that's. Yeah. That's for them to get over, right? Oh, like yeah. Something that generational and culturally that they personally that they need to get over. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't. Yeah. You can't help. You know, I, I just, you can't help, especially specifically with my mom. It's like, if they're not going to get help, you're not going to change them. Yeah. Okay. I, I, like, I, it's just not going to happen. Okay? Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. And I definitely, like, I'm one who really, like, like, sometimes it's just like an acceptance of you know there's just generational differences and it's not like in bad faith it's just what it is because i think i remember even when i started like when i did a bit of counseling here and there like my parents were never the ones to be like um oh no don't do this or why are you doing this but i could tell even though they were supportive they just didn't understand it and and they wouldn't tell me no but they'd be like yeah sure do 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 what you want to do um that's a new so it's just sort of I, I guess as long as they're not opposing it it's it's kind of just okay yeah it's, it's you know you know you know what, what i realized in a sense when i started to work on myself mentally the mm-hmm. last four or five years yeah people start around you start to say you change uh-huh and i used to really get offended i used to be like oh man what do you mean i don't change but then you're like 
Yeah, I mean, not you have. You're growing in a certain way that they're not growing. Mm-hmm. And they want you to have the same reactions and emotions that you, that you always have with them. Right. So when you start setting boundaries, yeah. it makes people go, oh, man, what, what are you doing? You're changing. But in, in the end, you're protecting your own health. And yeah. I think that's the problem I, I encounter with my family. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I def- yeah, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, uh, just to go back to, I guess your your writing as a comedian and everything. Um, now you're also like um doing more acting, which I I think in a previous interview you said that was always a goal, sort of to like, like comedy is your first love, but I guess acting would also be a place you would transition into. So, and you described your writing process previously. Would you say you're having um, the space to also exercise writing in any capacity now that you're um, doing more acting in films and the TV series? Is that different? Is it similar? What would you say to that? I mean, I, I, I always wanted to act from day one and it just didn't really, you know, again, I just didn't really know. The, I could have went to acting classes when I was younger. I just didn't. Yeah, know. yeah. I, you know, so I just kind of figured if I did stand up and I found my voice and I can get booked, I can get booked in in movies or TV shows if mm-hmm. someone saw my stand up. That was always the intention when I started. I didn't really vocalize it mm-hmm. much to the, my peers, maybe, and people around me. So mm-hmm. the transition into acting to them probably was like, you know, it worked out for me because like, there was no pressure. Yeah. So like, oh shit, we didn't know this guy was going to act. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so any, you know, they were like, oh, he's, he's decent, like, you know, because there was really no pressure to them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, and it really makes me have more fun with stand-up because there isn't that much pressure with stand-up. I when see. I, when I'm acting yeah. Well. yeah. And then I could be, I'm freer uh-huh. and I'm having a lot more fun with the honest with you. I've had probably a lot more fun doing stand-up while I've been acting because it's just like, not that, because, you know, before you put so much, I put so much pressure into having an outcome with stand-up. Mm-hmm. And then when you have this other outcome or other resources, uh, money, you know, you, I feel like way more relaxed. Where I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can play more and be more artistic. And, and, yeah, you know. I see. Okay. But I feel that helps my writing that way. Okay. So you do get to sort of contribute in some way still in your sort of writing and, and, and creativity as an actor still. I mean, like, it's like, you know, when I'm on, when I'm on Rami, like, Rami used to be the creator and star, he's, a, he's like, you know, he'll, he'll be like, oh, yeah, you should you should improvise here. Or, you yeah. know, there was a real encouragement. But yeah. Like, you're technically writing there. And in the movie, I got to improvise as well. Yeah. The director, Rachel Lambert, uh, had to allow that. So it was, it was it, you know, and that comes from stand-up background. Mm-hmm. For me, it does. Like, that's how I improvise on stage and, and my, my style of improvising was able to, to get into those two projects. Yeah. Which is super cool. Okay. If you if you had if you had to pick one, like either you have to do um stand up forever or acting, what would you pick at this point? Uh, at this point I don't know, I really wanna I really you know, because I really wanna always to get to a level in acting, like at a high level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's always been the it's always been the end goal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like people like I'd watch like Martin Lawrence and Chris Tucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still did stand up, but I mean, they got to such a high level in acting. Right. Whether it be comedy and drama. And right. Like Jim Carrey. That's mm-hmm. like people I, 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 I looked up to and I wanted to be like. 
Yeah. I don't know if that's at the moment that's what I feel, but I really want to take it to all the highest level I possibly can with acting. Okay. Um, and so you've done this for a long time. Um, when was the first yeah. time you were like, well, I, I think I've done some pretty cool things, but man, I think I've really, really like, I'm really proud of this one. When do you think that was your like moment? If I mean, at all you've had. A bunch of, uh, it happened a few times. I mean, specifically when I won Homegrown you know, just for last year, 2011, it was important to me because I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to break in in Canada. Like, mm-hmm. It was like very hard for me. It was like, I, I wasn't, I was, my act wasn't really there. It was like I was improvising. I wasn't really trustworthy on stage. The bookers probably because I wasn't. I didn't have a set. Mm-hmm. I would do the same all the time. And, and being at Homegrown and winning that competition when it was a competition uh-huh. and, and doing a set, it kind of opened up doors for me in Canada and it right. got me a U.S. agent. So I think at that point. And then the second time, I would say. Actually, the second time was Rami, mm-hmm. and, and around and when I did a half hour Netflix, they were around the same time. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, this is too." Uh, and and I, actually, Mr. D, mm-hmm. Mr. D, because mm-hmm. I never, you know, Jerry D put me up in a Canadian sitcom, a uh, sitcom period, yeah, which I've never been. And I remember being at the airport at Toronto to fly to Halifax, and I was like, "Man, what what a, what an amazing yeah." Um, I, I can imagine on TV. This is crazy. Yeah, and, and I thank Jerry. Anytime I get, and um, and then the last, the, the most recent one is Sundance. Mm-hmm. Again, I've never been in a movie. Mm-hmm. I've never like co-led in a movie. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, I never been. So you know, to go to Sundance, such a prestigious festival, was just you know that I was, I was in the screening. Yeah. The opening night, crying at one point. Yeah. I was like this is watching myself on that screen and, and realizing, you know. Yeah. All like been doing it maybe for 18, 20 years. Yeah. Remembering all the shitty ass gigs I did. Uh, but yeah, those are all the moments. <laughs> I don't think there's a specific one. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. So I've 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 caught a few of your 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 shows on 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 Crave and and things like that. Um. And I think you're really doing a good job. Um. So just one final thing. So you're headlining just for laughs Vancouver. Um. If I, I've got to ask, like, other than Windsor, uh, what would you say is the usually your best city to perform in? Um, I mean, I, it's hard because Toronto, I lived there for, like, 14 years. Yeah. So whenever I go back, I know these are people that have watched me from, like, open mics mm-hmm. to, like, now. Mm-hmm. The, the one, if there are people that come out that see me that long. So mm-hmm. it's, like, a different kind of, like, connection. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially because I really started my comedy there. Yeah. So I always like go back and do things there, like, you know, because it's just such a tie I have to the city and to the people that come support me. Yeah. Which I'm thankful all the time. There's just a core group of people that always have love. Mm-hmm. Have love. So I would say, I would have to say, you know, Toronto. Okay. Okay. So for anyone wanting to catch you, um, in your upcoming shows in Vancouver, when and where can they catch you performing? Um, and they'll catch me February 16th, 9.30, Rio Theater. Uh, yeah, that, that would be where they can catch me in Vancouver, which is next week, I believe. Correct? Yes, yes, next it week. is, yeah. You can go to Just for Laughs website, uh-huh. uh, JFL Vancouver, uh-huh. or you, know, if you can go to my bio on Instagram, Dave Merhesh, I mean, on H-E-J-E, and you can see it there. I have a poster there to get 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Honestly, thank you very much. Thank you. You were such a delight. All right, that brings us to the end of Arts Report uh, Fun Drive episode. Um, please, please donate to uh, citr.ca slash fun drive and have an absolutely wonderful evening. Bye. I'm To the kids that were bad to me I'm living the fast life Running from my past Like I'm a go-getter But I'm sad, you see All I ever want is To be like a goddess Everywhere about down I'm your queen This is Steve Edge from the Saturday Edge on Folk. This week is Fun Drive here at CITR, the one time each year when we ask for your support to help us keep local, independent and alternative voices on.